The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. This summer, we've been learning about Peter. Two weeks ago, uh, my friend Stephen gave a talk about uh, Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah and how important that is uh, to our identity. He talked a lot about I remember he was telling this story of how awkward it is when someone asks you, like, who are you? Um, because it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like a really deep question. You can answer so many ways. And we usually just revert to saying what we do for a living or something like that because it's easy. But we all know that it's much deeper than that. And it's one of the questions that that Jesus gives us the answer to. Right. So and then last week, we got to hear about uh, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Polly Yorioka, if you were here, told some great stories and. I, I thought it was hilarious. Both wonderful speakers and good messages. So tonight, um, we're going to talk about Peter again. This time, it's uh, not in his sharpest moment. It's actually what's known as the denial of Jesus or Peter's denial. Um, if you remember the story, he gets asked three times if he knows Jesus, and he says, I don't know the guy. So we'll read that in a sec. But first of all, I just want to say that I love Peter. Um, if you read the Gospels often... Um, and I suggest you do. I try to read them like, well, <laughs> I try to read them once every three months. I probably read them about every year or two, but it's getting better because it's just so good to hear the words of Jesus. Uh, and all scripture is God breathed, but Jesus is like the pinnacle, right? So it's really, it's really good to listen to his words. But why I love Peter is if you read the gospels, you, you recognize that he's, <laughs> it's like, He'll always say something at the wrong time or have an idea. And it's like, not quite it, Peter. Like, you know, like he's just one of those apostles that make us feel like we can be apostles. You know what I mean? Because he's always like just one light bulb behind. You know what I mean? Like they get to the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is in this like miraculous, like revealing his glory. And Peter says, I got it. Let's build three tents. And he's like talking about how they're going to do it. And God interrupts him and says, Peter, stop. This is my son. Listen to him. Not like angry at Peter, but it's just like we get that, right? We've all been in those situations where we're like, I'm, I don't quite get this. So I'm just, I thank God for Peter because he makes me feel like I can follow Jesus too. And really all his disciples are always squabbling and, you know, getting mad at each other and stuff. Um, which if you have any close friends, it happens. So thank you, Peter. So let's uh, get into the scripture, and then we can let the Holy Spirit reveal to us what he's saying through it. So the first scripture, this is Peter's denial. And does anyone have like an actual Bible with them? I've always wanted to ask this in front of a group of people. It's pretty rare these days. Hey, <laughs> you work here. That doesn't count. No, no, no. I was just wondering, because I was going to say pull out your Bibles, but that's not, not really a thing anymore. So you can pull out your phones or whatever if you want to look it up, or it's right here. So... Now, Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him. And for context, by the way, this is after they had come and taken Jesus to be crucified. So that's kind of where we're at in the gospel. He had eaten dinner with his friends. They prayed together in the garden. They took Jesus, and now this girl comes up to Peter. Servant girl came up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And with an oath means essentially like, I swear, 
I swear to you. Um, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. I, I don't know what he talked like, but gave him away. And then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Um, and that's implying that when we, when we swear or when we lie or when we curse at somebody that there's actually a spiritual consequence. Like you feel that. People feel that. So immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So Jesus actually told him he would do this. And then he went outside and wept bitterly. So my question is, um, here we have Jesus, or uh, Peter, <laughs> denying Jesus at what might be one of the tensest parts in the whole story of the gospel. Um, Jesus is taken over to be handed to death, and Peter is denying him three times after Jesus said he would do that. So my question is, how does Peter, this loyal, bold disciple of Jesus, you know, there's a story where he walks out on water to go see Jesus like no one had ever done that before. I mean, he's bold and he's he's faithful. How does he end up here denying his own rabbi, his master, on the eve of his crucifixion? Um, so it's always helpful when reading scripture to look at context. So if we go back just a few verses we see the situation where all the disciples are in what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a garden near the, the cross there. And Jesus is going to pray to the Father, and we get a witness, one of the more intimate moments between the Father and Son here. So Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And the cup means like what he was going to do to be crucified. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter in particular. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Again, this sort of submission to the Father. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And that's when Judas leads the, the Roman guards, like, there's Jesus, that's him, because they were looking for him. So Judas betrayed him. So that's, that's the situation. He prays three times to the Father in this very, and it's kind of amazing that we even get to see this in text, because I, you know, it's, it's just a very, poignant moment in the gospel. So at first glance, I don't know about you guys when reading scripture, but I always try to look at like, okay, what's going on here? Like, what did the disciples do wrong? Because like, I'm a disciple, so I should like try to see what they're doing and try to do it or not do it, right? So what, can anyone answer that question? What, ha what did the disciples do here? That was not good. 
they, they slept. They fell asleep, right? Okay. So they were sleeping. Caught. Oh, man. So I read this, and I, I remember the first time I read this, I was like, uh, maybe I was in college. Met, met Jesus right after high school. So yeah, I was reading this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm done. Like, <laughs> you know, I love sleep. Like, don't, like, we all love sleep. Like, I try to picture myself in this situation. It's middle of the night. You know, Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go pray. It's like, sweet, taking a nap. Like, you know, I don't, I didn't really see anything that wrong with it. And so I was <laughs> preparing for this sermon and I started, I remember two weeks ago, I was going through Facebook, which is really fun, by the way, to just go through like all your photos from like seven years ago. You're like, wow, like I looked different, you know, you get to like, it's yeah, anyway, it's great. But I found some photos that relate to this sermon. And, uh, well, yeah, let's just start with the first one. Okay, so this is my freshman year in Argentina on a mission trip, right? Disciple Jesus, journaling, right? Doing some spiritual stuff. No. Like, Jesus walks in, get up! Ah. Anyways, next picture. Sophomore year, Dominican Republic. Mission, clearly, sleep trip. So here I am. You remember this one. Sounds all the time in the DR. We're sleeping. It's like, I was tired. I could, I remember that. I could barely keep my eyes open and we had a lunch break. So I'm just like, sleep. Next picture. Sophomore year, Greek ministry team meeting. Again, ministry. Eyes technically still open. If you look, I'm not sleeping there yet. Someone posted that on Facebook. They're like, oh, great, fell asleep. I'm like, no, but I was about to. So again, my ministry is going great in college. Okay. Next slide. Yeah. Going up to Malibu to work and or nap week and this time like like i'm pulling some people into it it's like let's do this like it's a great place to nap you know okay next next slide okay intern year dr trip making nap time disciples look at this one two three four five that that's the same dude so that doesn't count but oh and him too but it's like i'm getting pretty good at this ministry thing you know like making disciples now this this is my favorite one this one of the most memorable times of your life, right? You graduate from college. Boom. Right there. That's like the official, like, that's like the official photographer, like, shot in the daily. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So, graduation, aka, can I go to bed now? But look, next slide. Hashtag someone's Instagram. So that's evangelism in my book. Because hundreds of people probably saw that. It's like, dude. This dude was sleeping. It was awesome. So anyways, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. So if anyone can understand Peter, it's me. It's like, I get this. So this scripture is like super convicting. Um, I'm trying to do something for the Lord, and I end up falling asleep. Like, all those were like mission trips or ministry things or whatever. And, and like, I don't know about you guys, but I try to like pray before bed, right? Don't, like, when, <laughs> when I try to pray like in bed, no, it's like, dear Lord, gone. Like, nothing. Churchy calls it the eight-hour prayer, right? And that actually, the all-night prayer. All-night prayer meeting, just me and the Lord and dreams and stuff. And he speaks through dreams, so that's great. Um, anyways, so this scripture's always been a little hard for me. But something Jesus is really teaching me right now is that when we read scripture like this, when we look at it and we're like, okay, here's the disciples. Let me just analyze them and what they're doing. It's actually a bit of a shame because it's too easy to read the Bible and be like, okay, I did that right. And, oh, shoot, like I totally blew it there. 
And okay, if I do this and act like this, then I'm doing it right, like better than Peter did, you know. Uh, it's just human nature. We read things like that. When we have a divinely inspired text, like, you know, God breathed this word, we begin acting out of our fear to not do things wrong. Because if we don't, if we don't do things wrong, we can appear right before God and before other people. So this is what the Pharisees did. They tried to, they, they would, I mean, this is, this is what we do when we get religious like the Pharisees. We, we show how good we are about speaking out against what's wrong to show how right we are. Like, that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, I'm doing it right. And it's like, we, we can easily fall into that. But what, what we can do instead, uh, well, and let me say this. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we need to be moral, loving people. So we should always be seeking to do the right thing. Um, that needs to reflect in our lives. Even Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But though Jesus was sinless, this is not how he approached Scripture. He made it very clear the way to be perfect, the way to be righteous. And that was him, which is where it gets confusing for us as humans because we're like, wait, so Jesus is the way and the truth. But I have this book. It's a lot easier to just follow the rules than it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus said in, in John 5, this is an important scripture when it comes to this. He was talking to the Pharisees. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the same scriptures that testify about me, but you don't come to me to have life. So they had gotten so like tunnel visioned on like the liter the literal meaning of what was there and what we can and can't do that when God showed up in human form, they didn't recognize him and they even hated him. And he's like, like they, they were off track, you know, it's like a, it's like a compass. Like if I set off from Seattle to go to like Sydney, Australia or something, and I'm one degree off, I'm going to end up in like Japan just cause it's, you, you just start going you're like, nope, this is how it goes. And you get tunnel vision and you end up so far from where you want to be, which is in relationship with Jesus. So anyways, important to look at scripture and not just use it to juxtapose with our lives and say, am I doing okay? Like, am I, am I doing it right? Instead, anything that Jesus does and anything we read in scripture is inviting us deeper into the gospel. It's inviting us deeper into the good news that God has accepted us. He's called us his children and wants a depth of relationship with us beyond what we can even imagine. He, he, he's always wanting to take us into deeper levels of uh, faith in his love for us, his favor upon us, and his love for the world and everyone in it. Because he says the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't disconnect those. It says in First John, like, if you love God and then go and, like, hate your brother, you don't get it, you know? He's always trying to bring us in a deeper revelation of that understanding of the love. So that's that's what we're doing with Scripture here. So let's start with answering these first set of questions, and we'll kind of take a break to process. So first question, have I ever felt guilty about not being more spiritual? Um, and that one, you know, feel free to share. This one might be a little more rhetorical, but do I more often assume God is displeased with me or do I come to him seeking to receive his love that actually transforms me? That's what repentance is. When I say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore, but I know you love me and you can change me. So here I am. Like, so feel free to share this one. If you want to share this one, if you can articulate it, I wasn't sure if it was, um, 
you know, articulatable. Uh, we looked at how to approach scripture, which is really important. Jesus talks about. It. Now let's actually look at the scripture we just read and um, see what the deeper invitation is. Uh, can we actually put the second one back up there? Yeah. I'll just keep that up there, just kind of refresh your memory. But upon reading this, I tried to set aside my conviction that I sleep all the time. And I was like, okay, Lord, what are you inviting me to in this? I'm, I'm here to learn more about you and your heart, God's heart. That's what scripture is revealing to us. So there's obviously a deeper invitation here to simply, than to simply not sleep. Um, in fact, there was a time, if you remember, they were on a boat and Jesus was the only one sleeping. And they were in the middle of a storm. I'm like, that sounds awesome. Like, I get you, Jesus. And then he's like, totally flip-flops. But I don't think he's just talking about not sleeping. I think that the scripture is hinting at the fact that if the disciples knew what they were missing out on, they wouldn't be sleeping. It wasn't so much of a, why are you sleeping, as a like, oh, they don't quite understand yet what's going on. At least that's how it reads to me. Uh, see, the disciples have not yet made the connection that Jesus desires intimacy more than he desires good behavior. Um, Because Jesus knows that intimacy with him always leads to godliness. It always leads to righteousness. But good behavior alone rarely leads to intimacy with God. Does that make sense? This, This was, again, the problem with the Pharisees we were talking about. They do good things on the outside, but they have no idea where God is or what he looks like. So the disciples are stuck in what we can call a servant mentality. They're, like, picture this. Okay, there's the master. Like, he's going to go pray. So we'll give him his privacy. And, like, he's talking to the father, like, God. So, like, we'll just stay here, you know? And when he comes back, we'll do whatever he says. So it's like, why not sleep? But they don't realize that Jesus is saying, come pray with me. Come be with me. But you're going to go talk to God, like... Who does that? He's like, you do now, because I'm inviting you into this. And and it's, it's it's about intimacy. It's like he's going, he's in this really hard time. So he's filled with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Just be with me. Now, if Jesus is God, do you think he could have just done this without them? I mean, he's God. Man for him. I think so. I think he, he probably would have been fine. He desires intimacy with us. Jesus is fully man, so he's fully feeling the sorrow that's there. He's also fully God. So he knows at any moment, and he himself says this, that he could call down 12 legions of angels and they would be there. But he's revoking that to model what it's like to be in relationship with God. And so he's like, come with me. See. A couple of... Probably like an hour or two before this, they were all in the upper room having the Last Supper. You guys heard of the Last Supper? It's like when you take communion and a little cracker in the thing. It's what you're, it's remembering a, a meal they had together. And Jesus says some really amazing things. Uh, if you have Ben or whatever, go and read John 13 through 17. Just those four chapters will just blow your mind. Cause it, it's, it's one of the most intimate moments in the whole gospel. It's him and his best friends. And then it ends in chapter 17. He's just praying to the Father. So it's like you're getting a taste of heaven. He says something in there that just kind of blows me away. He says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, 
Other translations say slaves. I no longer call you slaves. I call you my friends. Why? Because a servant does not know what his master's doing. But I have confided in you. I've made known everything to you that the Father's made known to me. And that is the definition of intimacy, right? Like in the relational sense, it's like you are fully known and you fully know somebody. Like that's, you know, if if you get married someday or if (laughs) if I get married someday, that's like what you hope to experience is like this fully knownness. And it's what we hope to experience with God. It's what eternal life is. This is offhand question. I always ask people, what, what is eternal life? And it's like, we, we always give all kinds of answers. Like, it's like really cool. Like you get to do, you know, once you get to heaven, we always talk about heaven and like you get there and it's happy and you do all the things you like to do all the time. And I remember as a kid, I was like, that's probably going to get boring after a, like a million, million, million years, you know. Jesus defines eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's a relationship. Eternal life's a relationship. It's not just, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's going to be great. I'm going to play baseball with Ken Griffey Jr. if, (laughs) if, If I outlive him. Anyways, but it's about relationship. And so... Jesus is trying to show them that, that this is what we're striving after. Relationship. It's not glorification, though that's a part of it. It's not being perfect, though that's an outcome. It's not seeing the miraculous, though that's an outcome of relationship. The point is relationship with God, because he loves us and he knows us. And Paul describes this love as beyond knowledge. Like as humans, we can't even fathom it. That's why we get like tastes of it and we can't quite understand it because it would be like an author writing a book and one of the characters in the book is trying to know the author, but all he knows is like what's written. So God writes himself into the story. That's Jesus. It's a C.S. Lewis quote. I didn't come up with that, but (laughs) so I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So when Peter and the disciples fall asleep, they're stuck in this servant mentality. They're like, okay, I'm not supposed to know what he's talking about with the father. That's like, intimate. And Jesus says, no, come with me. I'm pulling you into this. And let's see. Let's just talk for a second about how that is our call. The The difficulty of this is we are called to befriend the creator of the universe. And I think that's what the disciples were feeling when he's like, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. They're like, I don't even have a context for that because you're God. You know, it's like, he's so mighty. He's so amazing. You read the Psalms, it's like you can't even, in, in, in the Hebrew scripture, it's like he who would lay eyes upon God would die, not because God's punishing him, just because that's how amazing it is that you can't handle it, right? That's, that's, Moses was like the only one who could see the face of God and they waited till he came down. Now Jesus is saying that's about to change. He's saying, I've called you friends. We're called to behold the, uh, as Father, the most fearsome and yet all-loving uh, creator in the universe. We're supposed to call him our Father. You know, when Jesus gives him the Lord's Prayer, you guys ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? starts off, our Father. Everyone's expecting him to say, my Father. And he's like, our Father. He's changing the paradigm of what it means to commune with God. And the question I have is why is this so difficult? 
to to see God as Father, as I'm his his son, your sons and daughters. Why is it so hard to see Jesus as friend, not only Lord and King, but friend? And because I think if Peter knew this, he would have been like, yes, let's go pray. Like, I'm stoked. But instead he was like, whoa, you know, I'm just going to go sleep. Because it's like, I think that he didn't know how much he meant to God. That's the revelation. If we know how much we mean to God, that he desires to be with us, then we can break out of the servant mentality. Because when someone says, imagine if Barack Obama, or, you know, whoever you want, Donald Trump, <laughs> I guess, uh, came up to you and was like, hey, let's hang out. Like, I just want to get to know you. It'd be like, okay, let me put on a suit. It's like, there's kind of this resistance. And, and I was reflecting on this. It's because I don't think I'm good enough to be with him. You know what I mean? He's going to see me as some sort of like, oh, why'd you guys get me like this punk kid in his 20s to hang out with? I thought this was going to be like, you know what I mean? Uh, or it's a story like, have you ever gone on a mission trip or had to raise money for something and someone gives you a really big check? It's almost like, oh my gosh, I can't talk to them. I'm so grateful, but I can't talk because if they find out who I am, they'll be like, why did I give you that check? You know, there's sort of this... There is, there's like this hiddenness to us. It's so hard to believe that we're as valuable as God says we are. And how valuable does he say we are, by the way? Jesus. Like, it's simple, but it's so difficult to really grasp that heaven went bankrupt for you and you and you and you. Not like in a, in a religious, God loves all of us way, like Laura. Jesus was sent for you. It's like, that's crazy. Like, uh, I'm going to do this because I believe in it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that you're God's favorite. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him that they're God's favorite. Right? I see it. All right. It's like we're... We kind of giggle and we're like, that's weird to say. Like, how on earth could I be his favorite? Because that's how God works. It's like if Jesus was his favorite and Jesus took our place, that's how much God loves us. The value of something is determined by the cost someone's willing to pay for it. If diamonds were a dollar, they wouldn't be worth anything. We are worth Jesus to God. Seems I am nearly finished, but I don't know. <laughs> so I'll just end with this. Um, when I first came to Jesus, I had known about Jesus. I had been to church a couple times, but it was all still kind of, uh, you know, religion to me. It was like, okay, Jesus teaches me principles, and if I apply them, I'm a good person, and that's good, which is not wrong. Like, that's true. But I didn't know the whole relationship aspect. I was going through a hard time in high school. Um, I didn't have that rough of a background. So the hardest time of my life was like breaking up with a high school girlfriend. You know, it's like the world's ending. Like, where am I going to go? But it's like real if that's all you know. You know, we can't ever judge someone's level of sorrow. So I, I had confided in my psychology teacher. The two teachers, they were a couple. They were awesome. They were like the teachers that the kids like love to hang out with. Is like the cool teachers. And I remember telling her about how hard it was. And I thought maybe I was experiencing depression and things like that. And I got an email from my teacher. I didn't even realize I used email back then. 
but I saw it, I looked it up the other day and it was so she said to me, <laughs> I've been venting and she's like, Grant, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like Jesus loves you and he wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you. And I was like, cool. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, it's like, to me, it was, it'd be the same as saying like George Washington loves you and wants to have a personal relationship with you and intimate relationship. I'm like that. Makes no sense. Because in my mind, it's like I read about Jesus, like I know about him, but it's like he died a long time ago. And I know like in a, in a spiritual sense, he's like here. But when it came down to it, I started saying like, okay, God, one of those like, you know, just crow hop prayers. If you're real, like, you know, and then it comes back and hits you in the back. It's like, yeah, I'm real. Like, I'm here and I love you. So I started learning more about Jesus and growing in this intimacy but every time I'm tempted to step back into the, okay, like, just do it right. Don't get it wrong. Because that's how society works. That's how the world works. You get it wrong, you're out, you know? So it's, it's always going to be a temptation to do that. But remember Jesus' call. Every time I fall asleep when I'm praying, <laughs> now, I wake up and the prayer continues. And I, I hear the Lord say, I love it when my children fall asleep in my arms because they're with me. And that's the point. Just be with him and uh, you'll be all right. So Jesus, thank you for this time. And I'm remembering, I actually had some more discussion questions. <laughs> so why don't, why, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't mind. Um, what does the word relational depth and or intimacy mean to you? Do you have any examples of this in your own life? What are the tangible, everyday ways you can learn to hear the voice of God in your life and gain a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Father? So, you know, this can be hard to answer or it can be easy. I don't want to say that getting up and reading your Bible is religious. It's all about the motivation. If it's to get to know God better and to love people better, it's the right thing to do. If it's to make yourself look good or make yourself feel good without actually going to God, it's not the right motivation.